physicians do need to think beyond the prescription. They, they need to be thinking like holistically of, of how what they're conveying to the patient is actually going to impact the rest of their life. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. Our primary objective is to prioritize the patient voice and health system delivery reform to achieve person-centered care. We are dedicated to amplifying the powerful stories of individuals and the collective needs of various communities across the country. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman, and today I'm honored to speak with my colleague, Kate Gallagher, who is our Vice President of Health Services Research. When she's not in the office, she's staying on top of her fitness. She has ran seven marathons, including three of the Abbott World Marathon majors in New York, Chicago, and Boston. I admire her commitment in all areas of her life. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Tell us about your team's role at PAF. Thanks, Ashley. Really excited to be here today. The research data and reporting team also falls within my department. I'm predominantly responsible for developing our quantitative research projects, so mostly on the survey side, the analysis of the survey data, and then the visualization of it. Eric, who is my director, is predominantly responsible for a lot of the reporting facets of the data that's gathered at PAF. So all of the really rich and interesting and supportive conversations that our case management team has, he works to translate that information into data that our chief of mission delivery or development team and our C-suite can use to go out and either have conversations with donors or to return back to funders information on the programs that they've curated with our team. I also work really closely with Dr. Rebecca Angove, and she is our VP of patient experience and evaluation. So research is one side of the coin and evaluation is the other. So we work very much in tandem to really try and leverage everything that the organization does to the best of its ability, as well as to give the advocacy and policy team information and platforms that they can use in their work. The work that you all do is so important and it helps inform the work that my team does. Can you tell us a little bit about why data and research is so important? You know, how does it help guide our service to our patients and also the work that we do in policy? Because I know you said that um, it helps inform their work as well. One of the great things about PAF as an organization is that when patients come to us, we do have a a semi-structured system for having the conversations that we have with them and to collect certain points of data. And these things happen naturally and organically through these conversations. Um, But one of the challenges is, is sometimes when we look at different themes and trends kind of in this set grouping of data, there are things that either we don't know or we want to know. And so the exciting part of my job is that uh, I get to think about those different things. I get to do some, you know, 
online research, looking at what other groups are doing or haven't done. And then I work with, you know, the, the research and the data team at PAF, and we develop our own series of survey questions that we can in turn ask of our patients. And then when we get that information in, again, it's, it's analyzed. We look for trends. We look for correlations. We look for, I mean, even gaps in what we've already asked. Um, and then we go back to our, our leadership, whether or not that's our advocacy leadership and say, hey, we're seeing this. Have your volunteers brought up these points? Or we go back to the policy team and we say, hey, we're seeing this or we see this gap. Is this something that matches to the policy principles or things that you're hearing up on the Hill? I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of like this perfect integration and it's very much a circle that never ends of, of what we have, what we need, what we can use, what we need to identify and then what we need to collect again. And I know you mentioned your team is able to find correlations, gaps, and trends. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have some listeners to this podcast that aren't familiar with the Patient Advocate Foundation, you know, or just learning about us through finding this podcast. So what are some of those top trends or gaps that you've seen? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we are a social needs navigation and financial support organization. So whether or not that's somebody coming to us for case management, they're coming to us because they need help paying for a medication, or they're coming to us because they've seen one of the small financial grants that we can provide for things that are probably non-medical in nature. That being said, probably the biggest need our patients have is non-medical. So oftentimes, you know, they are struggling to pay all of their bills and they may be prioritizing things on the medical side, but their challenges is they're behind on their car payment. They're behind on their uh, rent or mortgage. Um, right now with COVID, food insecurity is huge. A, a lot of patients who may have been previously employed full-time or part-time may have been furloughed, may have been let go. We know that the subsidized unemployment benefit has, has ended, so a lot of families are really struggling to make ends meet. Our food banks have been hit really hard and they're struggling in, in their own ways to try and assist everybody with that. Right now, because a lot of these individuals are people who previously did not have food insecurity problems, so housing, food, and transportation are probably the three biggest needs that we see. We see patients as whole people and recognize all those areas of their lives um, that really matter. Because like you said, those non-medical needs are sometimes the most important and, and the ones that really keep you up late at night. Absolutely. I mean, my, my background is originally in HIV uh, research and needs navigation and one of the hardest things for our HIV patients was, well, the doctor wants me to take this medication, but this medication needs to be taken with food and it has to be delivered to my home and I can't juggle 
paying for medication, paying my rent and making sure that I have food to take. So of course I'm treatment not adherent because I can't get those three pieces to, to work. And oftentimes those were the challenges we were really trying to solve for them. Do you see any differences usually uh, between people who live in rural communities and those who live in more urban communities? The challenges can be similar, but of a different nature. So transportation is a great example. So somebody living in an urban center. So again, I lived in New York, so we'll use New York as the example. The challenge may not be that there isn't a transportation system available to them, but if you're immunocompromised, getting on a subway or getting on a bus is, is not a viable option. And we know that, you know, getting any sort of a, a, a like medical transport or car service or something in New York can be very, very expensive. So it's, it's not that there isn't a transportation option. It's an option that matches the need of the patient and it's finding an option that's financially attainable. Um, in our rural communities, often they have a means of transportation, so they'll have a car, but it's the duration of how far they need to go that can be the challenge because the service that they really need is not available in their community. And then the subsequent challenges, once they get there, depending on that travel duration, do they need to stay in that location for you know more than the one visit? And then it's the subsequent, you know, how do they pay for, you know, a hotel or food or additional gas or things like once they're in that location. So it's a similar problem. It's just different aspects. Transportation. And that's so frequently overlooked when we think about healthcare in this traditional sense. But it's kind of like a domino impact, you know transportation and and what you mentioned specifically in rural communities, if it takes a whole day, how does that impact your job? And I know that your team did a survey about work impact. Can you tell me a little bit of the things that stood out the most to you from that survey? Interestingly enough, um, whether or not somebody was employed full or part-time was was fairly static across our, our rural or suburban or urban populations. So kind of in that 50, 60% range, but they were definitely more likely to need to take time off of work. And again, our rural patient population probably needed to take more time off because again, it's not like you can hop in the car and or get on the subway and 20 minutes later be at a Columbia University Medical Center or an NYU or a Mount Sinai you're probably having to get up at six o'clock in the morning, drive three or four hours to whatever the closest, you know, large town is, um, hoping you get there on time, waiting in the waiting room, having your 15 minutes of of time with with the provider, and then having to turn around and basically reverse that three to four hour trip. I mean, that's an entire day. And then our, our rural group was also a little more likely to take more than six months of time off than, than our other two groups to deal with their treatment. 
And again, that could just be the cumulative of the time needed and during the day just to get these things done. Um, it could also be related to what they were being treated for. On that survey, one thing that stood out to me was the fact that you all asked, did your provider have a conversation with you about the impact of your treatment um, and how that'll impact their ability to work? So across the three groups, I mean, I'm not surprised that our rural group had the highest response rate in terms of their physician having that conversation with them. And again, I think it takes this whole concept into, into mind that they're probably not going to be treated locally. So they need to be prepared to be able to, to go somewhere either once, twice, weekly. But I was actually kind of sad that our rural population just barely tipped over 50%. And for our suburban and our urban populations, it was under 50%. So there are changes happening in, in healthcare. And I think it's, you know, groups like ours, especially on the NPAF side, are really making it abundantly clear that physicians do need to think beyond the prescription. They, they need to be thinking like holistically of, of how what they're conveying to the patient is actually going to impact the rest of their life. I, I really feel at any time a physician gives somebody a significant diagnosis, you know, if they are employed, it's it's definitely a conversation that, that should happen and patients shouldn't, on the flip side, feel scared to ask the doctor, like, what is this going to do to my ability to work? Because one of the interesting things we did see in our survey is that when patients did have a conversation with their HR department after diagnosis about how whatever it was is going to impact that, a good portion of the time those conversations were favorable. Patients felt like they were supported by by their job they were willing to work with them either in terms of you know finding like a telework solution or making sure that they were linked to fmla or other sorts like the short-term disability insurance to allow them to take the time to be treated so that when they were done you know they would come back and be able to fulfill the role that they they'd previously had with that organization what are some solutions that can be implemented to fill gaps specifically in different rural communities for these really unique challenges that are being proposed? One of the biggest challenges in rural communities is it just, it, and then this is a real broad one, is just the penetration of knowledge around Patient Advocate Foundation and other social needs navigation organizations that are out there that are free of charge, that are available to, you know, patients with these varying conditions, just letting them know that there are places that they can go. Um, I, I do feel like because of the relationships, you know, our organization has with some of the, you know, larger, you know, medical institutions or, or academic research centers, you know, they really know us, but some of these, you know, smaller operations that are in rural areas, they, 
they just don't know. And, and unless they've, you know, maybe Googled something and come up with Patient Advocate Foundation, they may not realize that we have resources out there. There are certain aspects of healthcare that can be really well managed through telehealth. And I think that because COVID put a lot of patients in the position where it was not safe for them to physically go into a, a doctor's office or waiting room, um, it really kind of forced you know, provider teams to really embrace the concept of, okay, how do I engage with a patient in this new medium? From the policy side, you know, there, there will probably be push for either expanded or better reimbursement for these providers to be able to maintain these types of contacts. Even in one of our last episodes, Mary and Greta Goto from Alaska were talking about how telehealth has been really beneficial. You know, instead of having to get on planes and, you know, cross state lines, telehealth has really been a huge benefit for them during this time. Um, so I, I really appreciate how we can find the solutions or silver linings in, you know, this uh, unprecedented times. Again, looking at something for example, like telehealth, you know, we also need to be thinking about it from a health equity space as well. There are definitely these technology deserts in our rural communities. So it's, I mean, it, it is great for me to say that this is, a, this is a perfect tool for rural health, but I also like our listeners also need to keep, to keep in mind that it's also not one that's universally available. Yeah, and, and so now, I think the next step is to figure out solutions to those technology deserts. You know, okay, we know that this is a solution, especially when your other option is to drive four hours across state lines for a rheumatologist. How can we get you the access to care that you need? I think that this time will challenge people to, to find solutions to those concerns. Awesome, well, thank you so much, Kate, for for joining us today and for explaining a little bit more about, you know, what your team has seen and, and how that informs our work totally as an organization. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It's been great talking to you today. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.